Hi, everyone. Welcome to Getting Real with Real Estate. Every Wednesdays at 9 p.m. with your host, Karen Bethar of the Bethar team. So far, we've been getting uh, a lot of nice questions and topics from all of you. Thanks for the amazing feedback. If any of you have a specific topic that you would like to talk about, you can e- either reach us at SinaiRadio.com or on Instagram, Sinai Radio, or the Bethar team on Instagram. Reach out, DM us, send us your feedback. We love that, and send us any topic. So one of the questions that I've been getting is, they, you know, from sellers or sellers' children, I find that so nice. Their parents have a home, they have a home. They're thinking of selling, they're not sure. Is there anything they can do to increase their value? I love that question. Like, the house is not even on the market, they want to increase the value. <laughs> uh, that's always a nice one. So I want to talk a little bit about today um, different things that sellers can ask themselves and do before they list a property. So first of all, just to start, um, you know, what are my plans? Why am I selling? Like the big why. So a lot of times, you know, sellers call me up. I meet sellers, you know, multiple times a week. And I always try to, you know, feel them out and really genuinely listen to them. Like, why are they selling? And it could be different reasons. Sometimes it's obvious, like, they already bought a house in Jersey. They're moving. That's like a no-brainer. They're moving. And they're not renting it out. Sometimes, you know, there's a divorce. Sometimes they need to downsize. They're selling and living in Brooklyn. They just need something smaller, a rental or a small apartment. And sometimes the only reason that people say is because I hear the market's crazy high and... I'm not in a rush. Those are the famous words. I'm not in a rush. And my response is always, that's great. It's never good to be in a rush because whenever you're in a rush, somewhere you're cutting corners generally. So it's always good to sell when you're not in a rush. But when there's no real reason to sell other than the market's amazingly high, then you have to think twice. Is it a good reason to sell? I spoke to someone earlier today and she was telling me i hear the market's really high and i just thought it's a great time to sell now obviously off the bat i wanted to tell her like it's a changing market every single day definitely interest rates are great it's a real buyer's marker buyers have a ton of options to choose from and that's amazing so it's nice to see that there's not like three homes and everyone's grabbing it there are options people could take their time they don't have to be worry that they can't think about the home for three days which was happening over the past few years like buyers just couldn't think they just had to make a quick decision and for me it was hard to see as an agent to see buyers like that because it's a such a big purchase and you don't want to be rushed so basically just to analyze your why like why are you interested in selling your home if it's a reason that's like a no-brainer you're moving out of town, like I said, or, you know, a few other reasons, then, yeah, go and, you know, then you'll take the next step. But sometimes the only reason is like, if I get my number, I don't mind waiting a year. So it ends up hurting your house because people and buyers always tell me, I think it was on the market a year ago, right? It was on the market for three years. And in seller's defense, they're like, it wasn't really on the market. I was just sending feelers out. But you have to be careful when you send feelers out because people assume it's on the market and 
you don't want a house to get stale and people start wondering what's wrong with the house. So that's always important. One of the, you know, a first step into deciding what a seller should do, what you should do is, is it, what's your why? What's your reasoning? What's your motivation? Um, and people always ask me in terms of timing, um, it's the winter. I heard the winter's quiet. It's the holiday time. I heard it's, so I always, my answer to that is, Sometimes I need to like wait a week till I launch a listing or wait 10 days. And I do do that, especially the end of August. The list like two weeks is quieter. So sometimes I would wait to launch a listing ever after Labor Day or after the three weeks. There are pockets of time that I would wait like a, a two weeks or a few weeks. But generally, um, I don't I don't find that um, real estate is so cyclical like that in Brooklyn because generally people attend the same schools. It's not like there's a certain public school district necessarily that you need to be part of. Um, it depends which community, generally the communities that I'm working with, that's what I'm seeing, is your kids going to the same schools. It's gonna be a different bus stop, a different corner, a different carpool, but generally what you're moving is a few blocks away, generally. So I find that selling a home in the winter, selling a home in the summer, as long as you present the home and you price it well and present it in its best light. Um, I don't find that I'm busier in the summer or busier in the winter. Like sometimes I give the example, like, you know, in the, when there's 30, you know, when someone's going clothes shopping for, you know, an event and there's 30 dresses to choose from because it just came out, then it's so much harder to choose. But sometimes you have like eight dresses and you know you have to pick one. So you'll pick one of those eight and it'll work out fine for you. So maybe in the winter there's less inventory, but then at the same time, maybe there are less buyers who are trekking out in the snow. And if you want to go out and go to open houses and showings in the cold and the snow and the rain, then you might find yourself a deal. Um, that's basically that. So we spoke about why and finding out a why and the timing. There's no... Uh, I, I wrote an article recently about the you know myths of selling in the winter. I don't believe that um, homes, especially in the areas that I work in, because I sometimes I get comments of people that are listening to the podcast, don't know what area you're in. The areas that I service in Brooklyn is Midwood, Madison, Marine Park, parts of Gravesend and Homecrest. So my area, this is how it works. And another thing that sellers I get a lot from is what else could I do to raise the value? Sometimes I get it off the bat, like I said, like I don't even see the home. What else could we do to raise the value? I'm like, let's just see what the value is now. Um, and after I meet a seller, I walk through the house and we talk. The question is, and I give them a number and sometimes they're happy with the number. And sometimes they're like, what do you mean? My brother-in-law says I could get 2 million. My uncle's in real estate in parentheses when I find out he's in commercial real estate, you know, in Texas. And then like the nephew who's in real estate, that just means he works for a management company that does like property rentals. So it's a very confusing stage when sellers want to sell and you don't really know the value because your neighbor sold, you know, three years ago or two years ago uh, for much more and everyone thinks their home is better. You know, even though it's a custom kitchen, but a custom kitchen for 25 years ago, no one cares about that. Because if you're gutting a house, they don't, buyers don't care if the kitchen is 25 years old or 60 years old. They're still gutting it. So that's like a 
something that I always find hard to tell sellers because like they're so proud of their custom kitchen or elaborate woodworks in the house and buyers necessarily, not every buyer cares about that. Yes, there are some unique buyers who come in and appreciate the mosaic tiles on the floor, but most won't. And just because it's hand-painted floral, they don't, buyers don't care about that. So there's a certain emotional attachment that sellers have, obviously, rightfully so. We, we should be attached to our home to a certain point. You know, we, people live in there for many years. But at the same time, um, there are certain home improvements that I recommend depending on the home. And I'll give you an example. So in general, like we'll start with the outside of the house. Many buyers, before I schedule a showing, they just say, give me the address, I want to drive by. Um, or they'll Google, and Google is not up-to-date. So I always tell, you know, tell sellers if I think their home is not presentable on the outside, and I like to say it in an obviously you know, sensitive way, just clean up. Make sure there's no like garbage there. If the door is old and scruffed up, just give it a fresh coat of paint. You don't need to hire a professional. You don't need to spend tons of money. People are always scared of, um, this costs me and this costs me. You know, sometimes you know a handyman and you're telling him, listen, I'm selling my home. I'll have the money in three months. And some handymans will do that for you, especially if you have a relationship with them. So just make sure the outside looks presentable. You know, the door is painted. There's no random, you know, wrappers thrown around or broken bikes. People want to look at the outside. They want to drive by. If you have a screen door in front of your house and the screen is broken, just make sure you drive by or you ask a friend to drive by and see how it looks. Obviously, you're not going to go stucco the house. If the house is, you know, an older house, it's old. But there's a difference between, there's a difference between old and not kept. So if something's old, you can't do anything about it. But sometimes it's like a gutter that's like very obviously has a huge like gash in it. It's le- like leaks. And like buyers could drive by, you know, right after it was raining or something. And you see it's like just it's an eyesore. Just have the house look fresh, cleaned up, well-maintained. Get a gardener or you do it yourself. Plant the little flowers just to make it look so presentable. You know, I was selling a home recently and I was showing it. And one time I came in with a buyer, I met them there, and the buyer was like, oh, I love these flowers. And I'm like, I didn't even notice it because I was rushing to open the door. Um, apparently the seller's friend bought it for her. Just put in two cute flower pots right in front of the house. And it was just like the buyer actually commented on it. It's just a nice feeling when you, when you walk in. So that's the outside of the house. doesn't cost much. It's just like clean it up. Give it a fresh look. Um, that's that. Now... Also, another thing about the outside is sometimes, you know, kids hang up holiday decorations outside the house, sticky gels or pictures, welcome back home. Just take that off. Buyers are driving by. Just take it off. Let it it look nice. So the second thing that I, you know, starting from the inside of the house, I always get this question if the, when I, you know, tell a seller what the home is worth and I say, listen, if it was a brand new kitchen, a brand new bathroom, it obviously could command this price. So it's not only a new kitchen, new bathroom, it's scraping the floors if that's needed. There's just like a general look. Not always is it something tangible that you could, you know, patch up, like sometimes air conditioner systems. So then they tell me, okay, it'll cost me whatever thousands of dollars to put the split air unit, you know, instead of a wool unit. 
But if it costs you, let's say, $12,000 to put a split air system, you can't go ask $20,000 more. Buyers are savvy. Buyers know every single piece of information these days. Sometimes buyers call me up, and I'm pretty savvy, if I can say that. Uh, buyers call me up and say something that they noticed about the house or they found that I didn't even pick up yet. You know, like if it's a new listing I just got, and I always check the records and the violations. Sometimes I miss things, and buyers these days see everything. So I love those buyers. They're great to deal with. I love savvy buyers and sellers. So just make sure that whatever money you put in, if you're putting it in only for the sale of your house, you're not getting it back. So someone, you know, I always get these messages on Instagram all the time from different people who follow me. And someone asked me recently, I think it was a few months ago, what's better? She should finish her, she's not planning on selling for a few years, um, but they have a certain amount, of, they have a budget to either put a front porch or finish the basement. So in general, front porch is always the big plus. People like that. But if someone appreciates that, but a finished basement always commands more than a front porch because front porch is like an extra. No one's going to come and say, listen, you know, it's a three bed, two bathroom house, but it's a, you know, with a finished basement, but it doesn't have a porch. So I'm giving you 15,000 less. You don't see that, but you'll do see people saying, what do you mean? The basement's not finished. So there are certain things that I would say, you know, definitely if you're going to change it and use it for a few years, definitely the value is in that you use it yourself. So doing something just to sell doesn't always work. Like, yeah, if let's say your vanity is broken in the bathroom and you put in a new vanity for a hundred bucks, just looks more presentable. You know, walk around your house. If I, when I meet a seller and they ask me, I, we walk around and write different things. Anything that looks like it's leaking. If it's an active leak, definitely take care of it. That's always a red flag for buyers. Any leaks, water damage. Sometimes if people have a drop ceiling in the basement or anywhere in their house. Um, hopefully it's just in the basement. But a drop ceiling and you see like water, you know, that was one sustain or... Sometimes people tell me, oh, it's just my son's water gun. But I don't care. You could go to Lowe's or Home Depot and just switch it. Anytime you see any water damage, buyers always get concerned. Like, is there a deeper problem? You know, it's like when you're, someone's dating someone and they see something small. They're like trying to read in between the lines. Is there something deeper? So it comes with houses just as well. So that's super important in terms of walk through your house. First of all, is there an active leak? Check out the roof. Sometimes you don't need a whole, no, no one, not all sellers want to invest in a brand new roof. I get it. You're selling, you don't want to put a brand new roof. But the buyers are going to ask you for credit for the roof. So if you know you're selling in a few years, then just like take care of it. You could patch it up. So if there's no active leaks and it's just was a leak and you see yellow stains in different places, just take care of it. Like, you know, honestly, that's just the right thing to do. If it has to, you have to re-sheetrock a certain area or plaster or paint, just do that. It makes it much easier. Instead of buyers, every single buyer saying and explaining to buyers, it's not an active leak, it's not an active leak. But buyers still get worried. Even if you say that, why should they trust a seller or an agent? You know, I could, and sometimes I just say information I get over from my seller, but I don't know if it's an active leak. So I always say the seller said it's not active. I'm not going to take responsibility for that because sometimes it is active. And, you know, we had a case that the seller said it's not active. 
We bought in two roofers. We got in writing that it's not an active leak. But unfortunately, um, the buyers who bought it had to deal with it. And they said it was active. What It started a few months after they bought. Whether it was a new leak, we won't know. And But at the end of the day, anything that has to do with water and things like that, take care of it. I'm trying to think. Uh, let's just see what else. So basically, in terms of other things, home improvements... So sometimes, like recently we had a home that we were selling and the basement was like semi-finished. But if the seller just like um, cemented the whole floor in the basement, painted it, she painted it like a dark gray, painted the whole basement, she rocked the basement, light gray, the, the floor was dark gray, regular cement, ready to put carpet or whatever you want, tiles. It just gave the basement a fresh look was not a lot of money at all. It was actually very well priced. You could always reach out to me. People want, you know, contractors or handymans. You can reach out anytime. And it just gave it a whole look. I think that was like the only time that I told a seller to like finish off the basement. It just added so much value because you could say it was a finished basement now. It was sheetrocked. It had a floor. So it just looked so much better than like a raw basement. So basically in terms of home improvements, you should know if you're putting in a kitchen and a bathroom, even if you you own, you know, if you have a kitchen that you're taking from another house and putting it in, or you own, you know, a, your construction company or kitchen cabinet company and you want to put it in, even if if, it, if you want to put it in, great. But what you put in, the, let's say you put in, you know, $10,000 kitchen, basic, very basic, the house not necessarily will go up that much because people know junk. You're putting in junk. They're going to know it. Sometimes I go in and the seller tells me, you know, I put 400000 in the house. And I'm looking around and I'm like, who are you fooling? Like, you can't fool me. You're not fooling buyers. Buyers see many, many homes. So if you're putting in cheap, you're going to get cheap. If you put in quality, then you'll get quality. Um, obviously, when something is too unique, you have to understand that buyers aren't going to pay for your uniqueness. We, I saw a home earlier this summer that was both sellers appreciated like vintage art and things like that. Um, and the home reflected that. It was a combination of like modern and some of the like, you know, stained glass windows they left and the old moldings they left, but then it was gutted out in other places. So it was just a weird vibe. Weird in terms of you have to go with that vibe. And buyers these days mostly want modern many want traditional but they're not paying crazy prices for a luxury home because you made it your style you know you like that open concept you know living room dining room kitchen den all open one big room buyers necessarily don't like that do or don't whatever but it's more if you make something too unique then you have to understand it will be a harder sell because not everyone shares that uniqueness with you. You know, there's a home that is on the market for a really long time. It's an extremely high-end home. The owner was supposed to live in there, so he says. And he put in an insane amount of work. It's beautiful, modern, modern. But the layout just doesn't flow. It's like a unique type of layout. And you have to go, not a huge home, it's a very big lot. But the, the owner put way too much money in. The value doesn't hold up. It's like a loss already. So you have to just be careful. Any home improvements you do, if you do it and you're going to live in there the next five years, ten years, whatever, then, yeah, go for it because you're living there anyways. 
But if you're putting, you know, if you're putting in a gorgeous waterfall in your backyard, not necessarily is the buyer going to like that. So just keep that in mind. Uh, another thing is, you know, uh, that sellers should ask before they list their home or should ask themselves and think about is, am I willing to stage my home? So many times homes are empty, not often in the areas that I sell, but some homes are empty. Sellers move out or the kids are selling it. And I don't mean staging like bringing in a high-end company and bringing in stunning furniture. That's a nice thing. I appreciate it for certain homes or certain neighborhoods. Um, don't feel in Midwood it's necessarily maybe virtual staging, but actual staging doesn't not necessarily works for every property. But sometimes I come into a home and it's an estate, it's the parent's home. Just get rid of things. Nobody wants to see, I, I'm sensitive and I respect you, but no one wants to see like, you know, a family member's wheelchair or all their like medical things lying around. It's just like someone, people are happy coming to buy a home. No one needs to see like, old furniture from many years ago and you know they, they want just empty the house take out all the emotions let it be fresh clean so when i say stage i mean like clear out the clutter take everything out yes you know it could be there like six siblings that own a home and it could be there are six siblings that own a home and not everyone wants to shell out their money to clean it now they're like you know we'll do it when we're in contract but it makes such a difference just cleaning it up making it fresh let, them, let people envision that it's a home they could raise their family in. Yeah, there's some homes that people come in, they know they're cutting the whole thing. It's a drive-by offer. I'm not talking about those. And the last thing I wanted to just discuss today that sellers should keep in mind is which agent should I hire? So there are a ton of agents in Brooklyn and it's flooded. The past few years it's flooded. I would say, um, maybe we'll discuss on another topic, the concept of getting into real estate and young entrepreneurs and people starting out and business. I, that's a topic I'm really um, passionate about, just the mindset of an agent and mindset of a business owner. If anyone's interested in that, you could DM me on Instagram at the Befire team and I will uh, we'll discuss there. So. Just to recap before we talk about specifically um, how a seller should choose an agent they're hiring. So we discussed today about my why, sellers' plans of what they're doing once they get the, the price you know, that they're looking for. What's their why? Why are they selling? Are they downsizing? Are they moving out? Um, is it only because that they heard it's a crazy market and everyone's selling for top, top dollar? Then maybe you should think twice. It's, it's a changing market now. Um, that's one thing we discussed. We discussed, is it a right time? Is summer versus winter? Is one time you know better than the next? And we discussed a little bit about home improvements and you know what you can do for, in, in terms of that. And then we discussed about staging your home, cleaning out the clutter, and just making it like sell ready. Um, that so now just a little bit about you know choosing an agent. So as we said, the market is over flooded with agents. There are insane amount of and every seller has a different personality, different vibe. Some people have an aunt in the business, have a niece in the business, and they feel obligated to give it to, to them. I always say, like, you do what you need to do. At the end of the day, it's a business decision. 
So sometimes, yeah, it could be you have a sister-in-law who has a license and, you know, could refer it out to another broker. Like, once you start with, like, family, if if your family member is the top in your area, then go for it. For sure you should. Just at the end of the day, um, it's a business decision. So you have to decide. There's certain questions I like to, you know, people ask me, you know, how do I choose an agent? There's so many people to choose from. So... I always look at their track record. You could um, ask them what they sold in their neighborhood, look at their pricing, look at their reviews online. Sometimes sellers ask me to give them references from other sellers that I sold. So um, you could ask around. You could ask them for a list of the last, you know, 10 homes they sold in your area or sold this year, whatever whatever you want to ask them. And um, some people are good talkers. A lot of times I meet sellers and they tell me, like, you know, they just met this agent. The agent was saying, oh, he sold this and this and this. I'm thinking to myself, what? Like two of those homes I sold. I, I, I'm like so shocked sometimes. Um, but it could be he meant like it's sold in Midwood. But th- the wording that they choose to use is very um, not clear. So choosing an agent genuine and clear and tra- transparent is the way to go. Um, someone who, who their track record, their references, um, availability, you know, you could, people always um, take very lightly back-end staff. Back-end staff in the office is super important. You know, I had a seller once tell me, like, what do I care if you have three or four people in your office and they're just helping you? And I'm thinking, like, okay, I that's, you know, my fault. I didn't word it properly to him. But uh, then, you know, when I discussed further and explained, he really got it. And, you know, I, I, I got that listing. And I remember it was a, such a great conversation. Like, yeah, it's not like I have three three four, or four now um, back-end staff that just, like, sit there and help me. They're helping my sellers. Like, everyone has a specific job of what they do. Like, we have one person who just does transactions. So as soon as a home hits contract, that's when usually the sellers like thinks they're done with the broker. They hit contract and that's it. You don't have to show it anymore. I don't have to clean up anymore. I'm so happy. Um, but that's such an important part of the transaction. Once you go into contract until you close, that's super important. Um, there's so many issues that could come up. Just making sure the buyer gets a mortgage, the appraisal went well, moving everything just to smooth it and move it along. Until there's an issue that comes up, then they realize the importance of a transaction manager and, you know, someone that takes care just of transactions. That's their only job in the office. So they're fully in touch with all the parties. And then when I, you know, when I explained it to the specific seller, I just have like a flashback of that. And like he totally got it. So asking people, you know, what's their support? The back end is super important. Um, And in terms of, you know, asking an agent who they hire. A lot of times people want to choose someone that sold their brother's house in Staten Island or something. So the the negative of that is in Brooklyn, homes don't just sell, especially now in today's market. You don't just put it on Zillow and put it on MLS. So there are multiple places and, you know, to target your specific buyer that you need to do. And hiring a local broker that that's their expertise is definitely what you need to do. Sometimes people call me up and they want to give me a listing in Brooklyn, not in the area that I'm that I specialize in. And honestly, I refer it out. And people are like, "What? Don't you live in Brooklyn? Don't you work in Brooklyn?" I'm like, "Yeah, but it's not my area." So obviously, I 
as I go along, I'm expanding to different neighborhoods I didn't touch before. But sometimes I say like, not my expertise, it's not my niche. It's just not like I, I know what I know and I know it's not my niche. You're not going to get top dollar like that. I don't know your exact target market. So that's just the way I work. Um, and that's important. Uh, I see a lot with, uh, with sellers. So yeah, just to um, recap all of that, today's topic was different questions that sellers should ask before they list. And if anyone has any questions, feel free anytime. If you have any questions, I'm always here to answer. 347-988-2526, thebeffireteam.com or on Instagram at thebeffireteam. Thank you again today for joining Getting Real with Real Estate, your host, Karen Beffire. All the best. Until next week.